0: Man, I want to tell you, I, I, I was reading in Mark this morning, and I don't know how many times I've read Mark, but I've never seen this little phrase. It said that when the demons just saw Jesus, like I knew he had authority over them and he could cast them out, but in Mark chapter 3, it says when they just saw him, they fell down. <laughs> they just saw him, and they fell down. <laughs> and they said, you're the son of God. <laughs> That's amazing. And over and over again in the Gospels, it shows us that Jesus has authority over the demonic world. He has authority over all of the physical world. He has absolute authority. In fact, when the, when the men dropped Jesus down through the roof and he said, your sins are forgiven, and they're like, wait, wait, who, who can forgive sins? He goes, okay, all right, all right. Get up your, take up your mat and walk <laughs> so that you know your sins are forgiven. you know what they said? The people said this, we have never seen this before. We have never seen this before. I tell you, man, that's my prayer. My prayer is that the church will rise up because Jesus, is he living in you? See, like when he was living on the earth, people were saying, we've never seen anything like this before. And he's living in us. And the world needs to see, and they need to say, we have never seen anything like this before. Man, does our world need that. So, Father, we pray that tonight will be the night that will be a catalyst for your church here at K2, The Point, anyone else who's gathered with us today, just the church, that we will help bring your kingdom to this world, that Jesus' people will be able to see you and be able to say, we have never seen anything like this before. God, unite us in love like that for your glory and for the blessing of your people in this world. And we ask you to do it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, man, my, my, If you are visiting, if you're with us, my name is Dave Nelson, uh, lead pastor here at K2. And especially if you're from the point, we just want to welcome you. Hey, K2, will you welcome everybody who's here to the point. We are so glad that you have joined us. And we are going to kick off. Um, our time, as, as far as the spoken uh, part of the evening tonight, and Corey Hodges, uh, a good friend of mine, long-term cohort here in Salt Lake, uh, a fellow pastor is gonna come up and he's gonna take just a few minutes and make sure that the discussion starts right where it should from God's word. So you guys welcome Corey up to the stage.
1: What's up, K2? How you guys doing? I was looking for the blue mic, but I got the yellow one, so it's working. First of all, let me thank my, my dear friend, uh, Dave. We met several years ago, uh, and one of the first things we did together, I don't know if he remembers, is played a little golf. Uh, I don't know who beat, but we'll we'll figure that out after, after tonight. Dave, I love you, love your family. Love all the wonderful people of, of K2. Uh, I joked with him earlier. Um, this month, we've been meeting on calls. You know, our pastors been getting together uh, since COVID crisis, and I told them, hey, K2 is my neighborhood church. So I live right around the corner, like walking distance. So I'm always praying. When I drive by K2, I pray for you guys, for every church, open up in the name. Thank you for being such a bright light in my neighborhood, in this neighborhood. I love you guys. Hey, just so, just for, we're going to have a discussion in a minute, as Pastor Dave said, but I just wanted to, um, <clears throat> Our country's been going through a lot of uh, stress and strain lately. It's kind of a an old story and an an old, an old fight. Um, but it, we were kind of re, reignited. The fight was re- when we saw the uh, the horrific video of George Floyd being murdered on the streets there uh, in his neighborhood. Um, it, it just kind of gripped the nation and started a national conversation that I think that we have to have as a, as a nation, as a country. Now, let me just say this first off, I love the United States of America. How many of you love the USA? can we do better than that? Yeah, and I, and I love this country even as an African American with all of its faults and failures, all of its challenges, all the things, and I'm, I'm gonna be a part and I hope that we can all be a part of making this country a more perfect union. Uh, now, having said that, the body of Christ. Hey, you guys, we have to be on the front lines of making that difference. Can we say Amen? Now, you guys know I'm a black preacher. I'm used to hearing people talk back to me. So, <laughs> hey, I just want to read. I just want to read something that I read not long ago by one of the uh, the Christian Church's founding uh, fathers, uh, and he, and 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 he was and his name is Augustine, and he was um, talking about. Uh, our country and about countries in general, and what makes a nation, what makes a great nation. And he gave a, a working definition of a nation. This is what Augustine said. He said, A nation uh, is a multitude of rational beings united by the common object of their love. Let me read that again. A nation is a multitude of rational beings united by the common object. Of their love, and I started thinking about that. Man, that's that's a pretty good definition of a nation. Uh, what what should be the common objects of our love uh, as Americans, as uh, and particularly as Christian Americans, that, uh, God-loving um, uh, Americans. And and he went on to say, he he went on to list four things. He said, um, what we as Americans should love in common. Are four things. He said, number one, the quality of opportunity, meaning that everybody in this country should have the same opportunity as anyone else, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their economic bracket, regardless of anything that separates us. Can we just get an amen for that? We should all have the quality of opportunity. After all, Ronald Reagan, President Ronald Reagan said that we, are, we should be a shining light on the hill. But Jesus said it even better that we are the salt of the earth, right? As believers in Christ, we are the salt of the earth. Uh, we are the light of the world. He said, secondly, um, uh, uh, what we love in common should be justice before the law. just. before. Justice before the law. We should all have justice before the law. Our zip code, our color, nothing should uh, should impede justice, and we should have justice for all. Now, injustice. Martin Luther King said this: "Injustice anywhere, a threat to justice anywhere. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere." And I, I can agree with that. Can you agree with that? Justice on um, justice before the law. That the law, you know, we look at those scales in front of the courthouses and the blindfold uh, uh, of, of, of the lady who's who's holding those scales. Justice should be blind. It should be blind to anything that divides us. We should all have trust under the law. Um, thirdly, that we should love in common the primacy of reason. And this was an interesting one for me, Dave, because it's like we we, we got to agree on, like, what's truth. Like, Like, can we all agree that the sun is setting? Can we all agree on that? And I think this is what he was getting at. If, we, if we're arguing about things that should be, like, obviously true, um, then we're going to have a problem. We, we're not being rational. We got we to we all, all start with the same amount of reason that, that we're here on the line here at K2. We can agree with that, right? That, that we've tried to come together to make a difference in our community, to make a difference for the body of Christ. Two pastors, one white, one black, that are pastoring and our cohorts in this community. We're loving together. We're, we're loving on each other. And we want our congregation to love each other. We want to live out that love. We got to agree that that is truth, and that is what God wants us to do. We got to agree on that. We got to have reason. And then number four, probably my last one, Augustine, said, he says, the eff- eff- efficacy of grace. The efficacy of grace, meaning that we all have to be gracious. Because God is gracious, that we have to leave room to make mistakes, and we have to leave room for forgiveness. We got to leave room to maybe I said the wrong thing. I I, I don't want that. I don't want you to judge my heart because I misspoke or said something. We gotta all believe have have in common the efficacy of grace. Uh, now that's what this country needs. That's definitely what the body of Christ. We should promote that. We should pro- because Jesus is about all these things, and we should promote that as a body. Uh, of so what does this mean in general? Then I'll read the scripture and I'm done. It, it, means that, it means that we're not there yet as a country. We're trying to form a more perfect union. But what we can do is we can start right here in Utah. We can start right here in Salt Lake City. We can start right here in our community, right? Can we say amen? By living out these principles, by living out loud. This means we, are, we have to be reasonable, those four things. We have to be reasonable, we have to be rational. In other words, we have to believe the evidence that's before our own eyes. We can't look at a out of out of at a film or video like the George Floyd video and then say, well, he was maybe he was a drug addict. Oh, or maybe he was in jail. Or 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 maybe there's some other reason why this is no 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 no. We got to believe the evidence. It doesn't matter what he did before that moment. They had him apprehended. He was contained. He was murdered. We have to agree with that. When we look at that, we have to believe the evidence that's before our eyes. We could talk about the other stuff later, but we have to believe that it's before our eyes. We're not there yet. Maybe some of you are like, "Oh my gosh, I don't believe that," but that's not the point. The point is that we're trying and we're trying to have civil conversations. We're trying to understand each other. We're trying to have dialogue that are that's fruitful, particularly among the body of Christ. Um, and then, but we have to we have to unite it and what we have in common. Too many things divide us. I'll close with this. Uh, Dave told me uh, seven minutes, five five to ten minutes. I don't know where I'm at, but I'm probably close. But will you mark this in your Bible? It's one of my favorite scriptures. I'm not going to expound on it. I'm just going to read it and then close in prayer. And this is the the Apostle Paul to the church at Rome, chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 9 through 20. Would you listen to what he said, and can we try to live by these words? Can we, can we digest these words in our spirits and, and day by day and inch by inch become more like Christ? He says, love must be sincere, verse 9. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor. Serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not pay, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Verse 19, last two verses. Do not take revenge, dear my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals on your head. And I love this last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for Dave and this K2 family. I thank you for the Point Church and our family. I thank you that these two pastors have come together in heart and mission and mind to love each other. To have a conversation about race, the difficult and uncomfortable conversation. I thank you for the opportunity, Lord. Bless everyone that's here today and bless our proceedings as we go forward. We love you, God, and we thank you and we give you praise. We bless your name. You are a way maker and a promise keeper. And we put our trust in you. And we know, oh God, that with you all things are possible. We pray for our country. We pray for the tension that exists in our country, and we all want to be a part of making this wonderful land that we love and where we live become a more perfect union. We ask these blessings, and we say this prayer in Jesus' name. Let us all say together, amen. Bless you.
0: Joining God in the fight. And you just see from the very nature of God, he is unity and diversity. And then he creates all of us in unity and diversity. And then he says the very purpose of Christ on the cross was to bring unity. This is God's will. And so we join him. Now tonight we called it joining each other in the fight. Sure, help sure. us know how actually how can we actually do something not just Honestly, things, but actually do something So um, so you've met uh, Corey who's going to be part of our panel and then uh, I'd love to introduce Emma E Houston Give it up for Emma E Houston. Emma is the chair of the MLK uh, Junior Human Rights Commission and we are so okay. grateful to have her with us tonight And then uh, Sean Newell do you guys get up give it up for Sean? Okay, all right. um, I, I want to start here. Uh, Corey, I don't know if you were at this meeting. Uh, I moved here 17 years ago, and it was probably about three years, two or three years after I was here, and uh, one of the apostles of the Mormon church actually invited, uh, about th- I think, about 30 of us uh, evangelical pastors to a luncheon, and, and he started off, and he just said, hey, he goes, I just want to let you know, um, I know you're the minority here. And I know we're the majority. And he said, and I just want to hear from you what it's like to live in our, in our state. And that's how we started off. And so he just wanted to hear from us. And I, I just, I want to start off too because I think sometimes when you're in the majority, you think, hey, everything's good. Everything's normal, it's, it's, it's equal for everybody. Would you guys just take a moment and just share, each one of you, at least one time where you feel like you, where you have actually, excuse me, where you have experienced racism here, right here in Salt Lake in our neighborhood.
2: Good evening, good evening, and good evening. Good evening and good evening. Thank you, thank you. Again, my name is Emma Houston. And when we talk about racism, even when we talk about the majority or the minority, one of the things that I always have conversations with is that no one is a minority of anything, that we are all human beings and that we are all in this space for a reason. So when we're talking about racism, when we look at the population of the state of Utah, 89% of the population is, is considered white. Then you have 13% of the population is our Hispanic population. And then you, you go down to 1%, uh, 1.3% Asian, 1.2% uh, Native American. Uh, and you, 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 you kind of go down to what that looks like. But when you look around the community today, you see diversity. You see all walks of life, you see all languages, you see all cultures, you see all of us in a space where the Lord has placed us for a reason. So when I look at any type of racism that I have experienced, I chalk it up to someone who does not know better, uh, who has not experienced interactions with individuals from someone who is not part of their circle of influence. So I take that as the opportunity to educate I take it as an opportunity for a learning opportunity for an individual who has said something that has been inappropriate and with the intent to make me feel less sin. Now, listen, I love me some Emma Houston. I'm just saying I love me some Emma Houston. And the reason I love me some Emma Houston is because the Lord, the God, the God that I serve loved me first. So in order for me to understand that I am just as good just as accomplished, just as worthy. It's because my Lord has already proclaimed that to be. So when we talk about racism, it's basically because someone may be insecure in who they are and insecure that they do not know that the Lord loves them and the rain shines on everybody. It falls on the good and the not so good. So when you think about racism, do you think that it's an educational opportunity to correct someone's behavior so they can be aware that what they have said and done is inappropriate? Hmm, That's awesome. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. I'm just saying this is the day. I hear no rejoicing. I hear no rejoicing. I hear... Come on now, this is the day, we are here for a reason, whatever that reason may be.
0: Yeah, that's awesome.
3: This is the reason I don't follow Emma. <laughs> <laughs> um, my experiences here in Utah have mostly been positive. I have had a number of um, incidents where some severe microaggressions have occurred, where there have been comments that were meant to be hurtful but I found a strength within myself, based on my upbringing, to not let those impact me. And to try to educate, as Emma said, the individual. Mm-hmm. To make sure that they understood that I was not gonna allow them to have power over me as I presented myself on Earth. And that has been my mantra you know, throughout my life. I sometimes go home and I have to think about those incidents, I have to think about what they said, and I have to recharge but I don't leave them having that power over me. Mm. And that's been my way to, you know, be able to cope with a lot of the things that I've run into over my life.
2: Awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, that's awesome, um, Sean. Hey, I, I would just share an incident that happened to me, Dave, when I first started pastoring here 22 years ago now. Uh, our, our church used to be located on, in Taylorsville, right up the street here on Redwood Road and uh, 62nd uh, uh, South. Um, right on the corner. And my middle son, Cameron, and I believe Terrence, uh, one of the ones that was performing tonight and his other, one of Tim's um, younger brother, uh, they all, all three of them were together in my son's car. And something happened at one of the apartments, Some a robbery or something happened at one of the apartments and the, and the description was given over the radio uh, that it was a, a, a black male that they were looking for. Uh, I found out later that the Taylorsville police, when they had a police department, uh, they had stopped my son and Terrence and Chris. Cameron, he's right back there. He can witness to this story. Uh, they were face down on the concrete, on the asphalt in Taylorsville. Here's the city where I was pastoring in. Um, and and they were questioned, they were detained, they were treated pretty poorly by the, by the Taylorsville police. Uh, and they asked, well, what did we do, what's going on? They were compliant. Uh, with, with it, but 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 they were humiliated. They were embarrassed, being uh, you know one as a pastor's son, and this was literally uh, not even a block from the church I pastored. Uh, and, just, and, it's, and they said it just fit fit the description of what the radio called. Uh, the, the cop later found out that I knew the former mayor Russ Wall, and and that and that you had the pastor Hodges' son. Uh, and anyway, that officer was. He was reprimanded uh, for that action. That wasn't on me directly, but that's a story that's real in our neighborhood. That I thought I would share, and that was about 12 years ago. Um, it, it, you know, and so it happens. It's a it's a real deal. Now I'm like Sean and Emma. I I, I don't I, I don't let racism or anything like that make me feel anything about myself. I actually feel bad for the other people who are the racists and the bigots and the misogynists and the sexist or homophobic, however you want to. I feel sorry for that individual because I feel like they have growing to do. I'm comfortable with who I am. Like Emma said, I know who God made me, Um, red, yellow, black, and white. He made us all precious in his sight. And so I just pray for my brothers and sisters who have not uh, uh, intellectually matured to the point that I have and spiritually matured to the point that I have. And I don't get angry anymore. I just get really sad and I get prayerful. So that's... Uh, but I have experienced that in my life. I don't dwell on it. I teach my boys not to dwell on it. Uh, the fact that they're black uh, doesn't mean they, they can't do something or they can't be something. They may have to work a little harder. They may have to tr- try a little harder. They ha- may have to stay a little longer. But I teach them to focus on the positive and not and not the negative. And, uh, and, and, and yes, racism exists, but it does not have to define who you are, where you can go, what you can be, and who we are in Christ. That's just how I feel about it. So I, I love how you guys have already you've
0: already set me up for this next question, because you, you're you're talking about if when something happens, you're interested in the individual person, and and I just know um, in any conversation I've ever had, when something happens in our nation and 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 it, the awareness, it just it just brings it up to, and the light gets turned on, and um and we want to do something right, we want to actually take some steps, and in our conversation you said then you need to be intentional. I'd love for you guys to speak on the, the issue of intentionality and, and in intentionality, what's what's most helpful in honoring? And I, I think in our conversation too, sometimes there's some things that can be maybe not so helpful, <laughs> a little discouraging. So, so in intentionality, just speak to us about that, steps to, that we can take that way.
3: Um, when we look at being intentional, um, we have to look within ourselves. We have to self-reflect. We have to be willing to go to a space that's uncomfortable. We have to be willing to relinquish and extinguish our fears of one another. We have to be willing to say, oh, that's a bad part of me that needs to change. And then we have to be purposeful in the actions that we take to make those changes. And once we do that, we can start building. We can build upon ourselves. It's not an easy path to take. It's very difficult for us to have introspect and take a look at ourselves and take care of ourselves. And being able to look at ourselves with a purposeful action mindset is is hard because we're going to have to be critical about ourselves. And then we have to be intentional about the acts that we make outside of there. We have to be willing to be resilient against people that aren't at that place where we are while we're trying to be intentional. We have to fight the fight for others that can't fight the fight or not willing or not in that space at that time to fight the fight. These are those locker room conversations, the conversations at the water cooler, places where people are having the derogatory conversations where they might let something pass. To be intentional, you can't let that pass because now you've taken on that burden. and You have to understand we carry that burden with us every day. And we find ways to battle it. We have to be intentional about the way that we react. But for an individual that is, has no experience there, has never ever been to that space, it's a hard path. But you have to take the time. You have to be willing to go through the pain and grow.
2: I'm gonna give you a very simple, simple example. Every once in a while, I I need to go shopping for something, whether it's eggs or bread or cheese. I'm usually shopping for
0: shoes.
2: (laughs) I, I need to go shopping for something, and I will go to a store, and I will purchase my items, and I will go up to the counter, and I will hear the clerk in front of me saying to the customer in front of me, Good morning. Thank you for shopping with us. Didn't you find everything you needed? Please come back and visit us again. And I think to myself, gold star customer service clerk. And as I walk up to the counter to pay for my items, the clerk does not make eye contact with me. The clerk does not greet me. The clerk does not ask if I have found everything I needed. Anybody ever experienced that? Anybody? 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 The clerk asks me about Bob. Anybody know in retail what Bob is? Bottom of basket. Is there anything on the bottom of your basket? That's what the clerk says to me. And I think to myself, Emma, the shoes are fabulous. Pay for them. Go home. And then the other side says to me, Emma, this is an educational opportunity. (laughs) Anybody ever experience that? Anybody ever experience that? Now, my friend here, Sean, talked about microaggressions. That's a microaggression. That's a form of racism. How do we intentionally change that? I simply have gone to the customer service desk. And I have asked to speak to the manager. And I've said to the manager, I need a refund, please. And the manager has said to me, why do you need a refund? Is there anything wrong with these items? Oh no, these are fabulous shoes. They want to go home with me. However, I was not greeted. But the customer in front of me was greeted. As I was walking away, the customer behind me was greeted. My concern is this. If you do not greet every customer that walks into your space, then greet no customers. And of course the manager has said which clerk was it, doesn't matter which clerk it was. If you do not treat everyone the same way when it relates to customer service, when it relates to equity, when it relates to justice, then stop treating anyone any kind of way. So when we're talking about being intentional, sometimes those small steps is what gives you the courage to take the larger steps. So when you go into the store next time, just pay attention to who is being greeted. And if you are courageous enough and brave enough when you are greeted, say to the clerk, I didn't hear you greet the customer in front of me. Why was I greeted? Bring it to their attention. Because when we are aware of our behaviors, we change our behaviors.
1: I, I, I was, I'm just sitting here, it's a beautiful night. Can, you, can everyone look at the playground over there? That's a great picture of intentionality. There's some black kids over there, some white kids over there. They they can care less what we're over here talking about. <laughs> They're here having fun. Uh, when I think of intentionality, microaggressions come to mind, but just some simple everyday stuff, relationships, right? Um, uh, do you have people in your close friendship circle that do not look like you? I just want you to think about it. You don't have to answer. Don't raise your hand. I'm not talking about... I'm not talking about going to church with you. I'm, ta- I'm not talking about work in your cubicle. I'm saying when you think of people you want to invite to your son's or daughter's birthday party or to the 4th of July barbecue in your backyard or on your boat or uh, to your timeshare or on your trip to Vegas, d- d- does everybody in your clan look like you? Do you have real friends? Um, you can't just have, that's my African-American. That, that, that doesn't cut it. Uh, and, 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 and one of the things I find very interesting as we talk about just educating on race and relationship, um, you can't get credit for having just one black friend. And it is possible to be a racist and have a black friend. That just simply means you have the, the, the beauty in that, the, the, the one positive in that is you've, you've become friends with that one person of color or so, that doesn't look like you. You've gotten to know them as a human being and you found out that you like them. But if you don't repeat that process with other people who don't look like you, you're never gonna understand that there are other people that don't like you that are great human beings as well. Uh, that, that I have a black grandkid, that doesn't do it. Um, I've adopted a black kid, that doesn't do it. Uh, this is not about the people that you can point to in your life that may be in proximity of your uh, presence. I'm talking about authentic, organic relationships with people who don't look like you. People that you can be concerned about, that you call and check on, Um, um, you know, real friendships. You have to be intentional about that. And I have to uh, be intentional about that. So just relationship, check your relationship circles um, and, and make sure that those relationships are diverse and. And they're not going to be diverse if there's no intentionality. You have to intentionally say, "You know what? I don't like the way this cookout looks. I I, I, I gotta I gotta have some more Black friends. I gotta have some more Hispanic friends. I gotta have some more Native American friends." Um, and that's that's my 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 addition to intentionality, to be intentional.
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Corey. So so in this, Sean, you kind of started off and you said, in. You said that, that's going to be hard sometimes. That's going to be uncomfortable at times. It's going to be like, I don't know what's going to happen if I do this. And you've come to K2. You K2 is one of the churches you, you frequent, and you shared with me. It's like you, you can't even get people to come with you, right, because it, there's a fear again of I'm not sure what's going to happen when I do that. So you guys also mentioned if we're going to do this, right, you're going to have to take – you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. You're going to take those steps. But then you guys said, um, and we need to create safe places, Talk about that. Give us give us a sense of what a safe place is and how you create that.
1: I'll, I'll start this one. I always say, particularly to my uh, African American uh, brothers and sisters, people of color, you have to you have to give our white allies, our brothers and sisters, opportunities to make mistakes. Every mistake, every slip uh, of the tongue or misspoken word or bad joke is not coming from their heart. And I think far too often, uh, we judge people's heart because of something stupid they said. Uh, Safe places will not happen outside the confounds of an authentic relationship. So if I'm in relationship with you, we are really, truly friends, like like Dave and I. Now, um, I, I consider Dave a friend, a colleague, a cohort. And so Dave knows if he has questions about race or if something he says might have been inappropriate or, hey, Corey, if I say this, I said this and I I got backlash, tell me what's wrong with that. He feels safe, right, Dave, that he can ask me those questions and I'm not going to judge his heart. You know why? Because I've been around him long enough to know his heart. And I can tell the difference between his heart saying something and him making a mistake because maybe he didn't know something. And that's what, that's what I mean when I talk about creating safe spaces, being able to ask the tough questions and have the crucial conversations without being judged for the rest of your life as being a racist or, or, or the opposite. I, I, I need a safe space to say, you know what, Dave, you know, I'm pissed off right now. You know, I watched that video of George Floyd, or I just, you know, left the the, the store, and I'm tell you, man, I I I'm, I'm upset. I'm angry. I if, if Dave and I are an authentic friendship, I can call him and and I can share that with him, and that's a safe place place, and he won't call me a overzealous black dude or an angry aggressive black man. He'll listen to how I'm feeling and try to empathize with that. I I want to
3: follow that a little bit, um, Pastor Hodges, where that safe space means that you don't confront people in front of a group of folks where you feel safe, but you know that they're not safe. Be conscious of the environment that you're in. If it's an environment that's unfamiliar to both of you, you have to count on that safety within each other. If it's someplace that you feel safe and you know very well that they don't, don't, don't approach them in a way that you're gonna make somebody feel uncomfortable. You're not gonna get the response that you want. Be very conscious of your environment and your surroundings. When you bring somebody to your home to meet your family, be very conscious. Understand that they're coming into a dynamic that's yours and they need to be nurtured and, and, and walk through that, that relationship that you have in a way that they become part of that family group in a slow manner. Don't push people But also understand that, and this is a little uh, segue off a little bit, but there are no wrong questions if it comes from the heart. Be willing to ask the difficult questions. If you have true, authentic curiosity, ask the questions. If you don't, don't play around. Don't play around. But if you truly want an answer to something, ask somebody. Ask them, and they're willing to help you along the way. I get some odd questions, trust me. Some really odd, I shaved my head because I got tired of people asking me about my hair. But I was willing to share with people because they were authentic in their questioning. But we can tell when you're not being authentic also. And that's hurtful. And sometimes people lash out and make it hurtful to the person asking the question as well. And that's not what we want, that's not conducive to change, that's not conducive to growth. So be authentic when you ask those questions in those safe spaces. Make sure it's safe for everybody who's involved.
2: Uh, I, uh, you know what? I, this morning, uh, grace w- woke me up. Grace. Grace woke me up. So it is my responsibility to extend grace to individuals as well. Uh, And like what Sean has said and what Pastor Hodges has said is that we need to understand it's all about building relationships and that people come with good intent. Just assume it's with good intent and how we respond to those answers as well when someone asks us a question. And sometimes it is, say, I have said, you know what, I'm not in a good space right now to answer that question. Can you give me about an hour and I'll come back and talk with you about it? Bow out. I have bowed out many times and not responded because I was not in a good space to respond. So when you have those authentic relationships, that authentic friendship, you are able to say to a friend, I'm not at that space right now. I'll come back next week. Come back next month. Or please do not ask me that question. We have to be truthful in who we are as well, but create that space where people can approach us. And do your homework. Just do your homework. If you have a question that you need clarification on, do your homework first. There's some Google apps out there to say, what about touching a black woman's hair? Y'all know the answer to that. <laughs> don't walk up to a sister and say, can I touch you? Y'all know the answer to that. Do your homework. The answer is no, if you don't know the answer. I'm just saying. Do some research if you have a question that you would like to pose to someone and bring it there with authenticity.
0: All right, let's talk about, um, let's talk about empathy. This is the other thing that came up. Uh, definition, the ability to understand and share the feelings of another, to be able to put yourself in the shoes of another. I, I like this. It said uh, the capacity or the ability to imagine oneself in the situation of another, experiencing the emotions and ideas. So we talked about this. Talk about the importance of empathy, but also the difficulty of empathy.
1: And Dave, I appreciate Dave called us. We got together and kind of talked about these questions, and that was one that we had some fun talking about, and one that's very dear to me and close to me, as uh, as I've been and like like Sean and him. Been out here in our community, trying to have these conversations in different venues. Empathy was a big one because I don't—I don't know if a white person can 100% be empathetic to what it's like to live in brown skin 24/7. I—I—I uh, I, I don't personally—I don't think it's possible. I, I don't care what the scenario is. I don't care how good of a person you are. I don't care how much research you've done. I I personally think it's almost impossible to know what that feels like. And you know what? That's okay. That's not a strike in my mind, in my heart. For me, understanding that helps me with the conversation and helps me with the relationship building. And I think we all agreed, and we were talking about this earlier. Any African American, any person of color, I don't wanna I don't want to claim to speak for us all, but my guess would be if we can sense a genuine attempt at being empathetic to our situation, that will go a long way. Just the fact that you are trying to understand, even though I just admit it, it may be impossible for you to understand. But for, for someone to, to call or to text or to write a letter or an email and you can f- you can feel and sense a genuine attempt to, to empathize with our reality, I, I think as far as education goes and race relations, I just want to give you a freebie for that one. That will go a long way. And you will get invited to the barbecue. <laughs> and, 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 and so, my, my brothers and sisters, I, I just just try to be empathetic. Um try to try to imagine. I like the definition, Dave. Try to imagine what it what it what it what it feels like. My boys went, my, my two oldest boys went to um, Portland, Oregon to pick up my youngest son for college because you know the COVID thing. Uh, that's a 12-hour drive, I guess. 12-13-hour drive. Uh, I can tell you, I was fine. My wife, and I'm not exaggerating, she did not sleep until they return home it was painful to watch my wife this was right this was four or five weeks ago right in the thick of all this tension she was so afraid that they were gonna get stopped on the road for something or for nothing and end up dead now if you have white kids I don't know that you could understand that at least not the way I do I don't know if you you can imagine your spouse, Literally terrified, for no reason, other than the fact that three her three black sons were driving 12 hours, a total of 24 hours drive, and she was worried that they, not make, they won't make it back alive. But to hear that story, and to have genuine, authentic empathy, man. I, I, you know, man, Corey, I, I don't know how that feels, but I, I can imagine that's probably terrible. And if I sense that genuineness from you or the authenticity, that's enough. That gets the relationship going. So, awesome.
2: yeah. One of the things that Pastor Hodges had said when he was giving his opening comments in regards to George Floyd, that he watched him be murdered on national television. My, my question to you is when we talk about being empathetic, did anybody think it was wrong? Did anybody think what you saw on national television of a black man being murdered, did you think it was wrong? Can we agree that that was wrong? And even if we don't agree, we should agree. And that is what empathy is about. You don't have to experience it. You don't have to know someone who has experienced You have to simply see something like that happen and say, oh, That's wrong, that's wrong, regardless if I'm black, if I'm white, if I'm Asian, if I'm Hispanic, if I'm Native American, regardless, was it wrong? And when you have conversation of what you have seen as a wrong done to another person, that's where our empathy comes into play. I can actually say, I cannot believe that that happened. Regardless of who the man was or the woman was, I cannot believe that happened. What can I do? How can I amplify my voice? How can I show up with my privilege to ensure that something like that never happens? happens again. And when we have conversations with individuals who then started labeling Mr. Floyd as a drug dealer or as a criminal, are you courageous enough to lose your friends and correct them? Are you courageous enough to stop someone who is saying, but he was A, B, C, D? Hold up. Are you willing to lose a friend when they disagree with you and not show any type of empathy. So when we're talking about empathy, when we're talking about being intentional, are you using your voice? Are you using your voice to correct inappropriate behavior as well?
3: When I think about building empathy, I have to think about our system that exists here in the United States. I have to think about the fact that we do not teach all of our history here in the United States. We don't teach about the subjugation of specific groups of people and their experiences through that subjugation as we navigate or trying to exist in this country. Until we acknowledge the fact that our system is created to negate that knowledge from the masses because they don't want you to have that empathy we won't see change come very quickly. It's disheartening when I look at our education system and the fact that we don't teach black history. We don't teach that these incidents like with George Floyd have been going on for centuries in our communities and not being acknowledged. We get up in arms for a little while and then things dissipate, they disappear. We go back to the status quo and that's painful to me because I've seen it over and over again. And it's hard to watch. So I have to work on my resilience too, to not give up, to not stop fighting, to not stop talking to people about maintaining an awareness that you need to educate yourself on where the basis of a lot of these things come from that are in our communities, that are in our society. And we have to build some strength by knowing that there are some things in our history that continue to exist today that are damaging to us being able to be empathetic. Once we learn this history, once we develop a resilience to being able to discuss it with our peers that may not agree with us, then we can start to see change. But it's gonna take work, it's gonna take continuous work too. My friend Ms. Emma and I were talking earlier this evening that, you know, we get tired sometimes having these conversations. But we're going to keep the gloves on. We have to keep the gloves on, because if we don't, we keep going back in this circle. I'm trying to fracture that circle, trying to fracture that ball, so that we can start bleeding some empathy into this world and to our society, so that we understand that we're all in this together. We're all God's children, and we all are supposed to be loving one another and sharing.
1: Hey, hey Dave, can I just in light of what the last two things they said, talking about losing friends, taking risks, making sacrifice. one of my favorite uh, Dr. King quotes is this, he says, in the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Amen. And I think those are profound words as it relates to empathy. We need white people, white allies, to speak up um, when they see injustices. Um, because we we can't do it alone, we, particularly Christian white people white white uh, our white brothers and sisters who love god we are, we, are, we are we are bound by the blood of Jesus Christ amen? Amen. amen we are bound bound by the blood of Jesus and so uh empathy is about speaking up and uh, it's not the words of our enemies that that hurt us the most sometimes it's the silence of our friends thanks Corey so
0: uh Man, I I wish we could just keep going and going and going. Uh, and but here's the point: we actually we actually do want to keep going and going and going. I had some people say, "So um, what are we gonna do? Are we just are we gonna do a one-time service, invite our black friends, and then just forget about it?" You know, uh, part of the reason we waited long instead of doing this right off the bat was because we wanted to bring it back up <laughs> when 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 it starts to to dissipate. We're hoping that this is not a one-time event, but that it really is a catalyst, something that'll move us forward, something that actually will encourage you guys that this conversation didn't just happen once and just go away, but kept going. So, yeah, I mean.
1: But Dave, I want to give you credit for doing it. So thank you, and thank K2. You You guys have a great pastor and um I love his heart so I just want to thank you on, on behalf of all of us up here I'm sure they can echo My this and, and the Point church and Calvary Church and all other everybody we just thank you Dave and we yeah. thank K2 and we love you guys
0: yeah so um so we are we are we are gonna go ahead and to need and need to close but we're going to keep this conversation going we're going to keep and just so so all of you at K2 um in the point just but we're gonna we're going to be putting this out in, in emails. We're going to put some dialogues out on our Facebook page. We're going to have some Q&A stuff. We're going to, we're going to keep this conversation going because I still want to hear um, ideas, right? Like we've heard, I hope you guys have heard, it's about relationship. It's about friendship. It's about taking the risk and stepping out of your zone and, and having the confidence in Christ that we can do this. We, we've got to do this if Jesus is inside of us, but let's do it. And then even just how can, how can our faith communities foster that? Those are the conversations I'm looking forward to having and how we can keep this moving forward. But I just wanted you guys to hear from us that we, that we really do want to do that. So, yeah.
2: Can I, Thank you. Can I give you a, an example? So when you go home tonight, it's about 8. Oh, oui. it's about 9.02 in the evening. So when you go home tonight, my question to you is this. Or are you going to have conversations with those who live under your roof? Because it starts at home. It absolutely starts at home. And if you're having conversations with those who live in your home, what words are you saying? What expectations are you having with your family members when they walk out of the door the next day and they are not in your sight or in your earshot as well? Are you secure enough to know that whoever walks out the door will do right? That their light will shine? That they will speak up? That they are willing to use to lose friends, whether they're in kindergarten, whether they're in college, whether they are at work? So when you start at home, are you 100% sure that your family members will walk out and be intentional and enter it with empathy and share the love of Christ, regardless of ethnicity, race, gender, regardless. Will you use your authentic voice starting at your home? That's a call to action. What you going to do at 9.03? 9.04? I'm sorry, it's 9.05. What you going to do? What you going to do?
0: Well, Emma, would you actually, would you close us in prayer? We got one more song to do to tie up this night, but would you just close, would you pray for
2: us? Father God in heaven, we are here as your children. You have graced us with this opportunity, Father God, to praise you, to thank you, Father God, for allowing us to take one more breath in this space. Father God, you know that we are in a nation that is hurting, Father God. We don't know which way to turn, left or right. We don't know whether to take a step forward to step or take a step back. But we know, Father God, if we listen to you, Father God, if we are still, listening and we are listening to that small voice, if we are listening with our hearts, Father God, we know what we need to do. We ask, Father God, that you equip us all, Father God, that you guide us, that you direct us, that you order our steps, Father God. That, Father God, that you bless us from the crown of our heads to the soles of our feet. Father God, that you give us the courage, Father God, that you give us the wisdom, Father God, that you give us the words, Father God, that we can change a nation that we can change a community, that we can change not only ourselves, Father God, but those who are surrounded by us. That you enlarge our territory, Father God. That you give us, Father God, the wisdom to do right, to love one another, Father God, in brotherly love, in Christian love, Father God. We thank you for this opportunity to be in this space, Father God, where we are united with one cause. And that one cause, Father God, is to show this dying world that you are a forgiving, that you are a forgiving Father, that you are loving us, Father God, in spite of ourselves. We thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for this church family. We thank you for this leadership in this space, Father God. We call on your mighty name right now, Father God, that you will bless the work that has been planted in this space, Father God, that you will nurture it, Father God, that you will grow it, Father God, and that you will increase it, Father God. And we will always, Father God, be prayerful to give you all the praise and all the glory in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.